first, I want to actually offer a compliment to you folks. Uh, everyone I talked to who, have, who has had a workshop uh, has said that the participants in their workshop were absolutely spectacular. And certainly the ones who were in my workshop, unbelievable. This is probably the best workshop I've ever had. You know, it was better than Google. So thank you very much. Seriously. They came up with five great business models for five new businesses in one day. I mean, unbelievable. Really good. There's something in the water of Lisbon or startup Lisbon or something is happening and it's really cool. So that's the good news. Uh, now I have some bad news. Um, yeah, as you can see, uh, I've been following design and covering design for a long, long time, but I'm not a designer and I absolutely have no talent. So you're going to see the ugliest presentation you've ever seen. I mean, it is really ugly. It doesn't get better than this, right? It's, this is it. It's ugly. Um, that's one bit of bad news. The other bit of bad news is that I, I have this thing called spatial dyslexia. I can't even pronounce it. Um, in which I, I, I'm, I, I don't have any situational awareness, so I have a hard time knowing left from right, and I constantly live in a state of lo lost. Uh, if it wasn't for Google Maps, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. And as part of that, I also have this thing, uh, words and paragraphs and thoughts uh, don't flow linearly with me. They sort of wash around and flood around. And I'm perfectly okay when I'm interacting with people, as you saw earlier, but in giving a presentation, it just doesn't work. So I'm actually gonna do something that I think many of you have never seen before. It's gonna be a radical act. I'm going to read my presentation off paper, right? Think of that. Okay, uh, hopefully this is gonna work. Uh, for some of you, if it's too radical, is this working over here? If it's too radical, just take a moment, drink something, and here we go. All right, so we already have that. We live right now. One of the reasons why we're all here and one of the reasons why we're all stressed out is that we are living in a world of VUCA, and it's a very unusual world. Uh, usually change is gradual. We get a big disruption, and... So... Okay, we got a big invention like earphones. Okay. Um, you want to check on this? How does this look? <laughs> Is someone videoing that? Okay. So, usually we get a big disruption like electricity. And then we have time. We have a generation or two to absorb it and then go on. But sometimes every, I don't know, 50 years or so, we have many, many disruptions, and they occur continuously. They don't stop. I call this cascading change. And with cascading change, we have little time to adapt before change happens yet again. Today, we live in one of these very exceptional periods of time, and it's really very hard to know what to do. The one thing that I do know is that in a world of VUCA, a world of VUCA, all of our institutions, our businesses, our politics, our schools, our banks, they get challenged, deeply challenged. And many right now are being pulled apart and put together in new forms. Other institutions are simply being pushed aside. Today we are going to talk about new strategies to increase our creative capacities 
to find new opportunities and generate value in a world of VUCA. And now I'm going to quickly list the five main forces of change, global change, making our world volatile, uncertain, chaotic, and ambiguous. That work? Okay, I'll stop looking behind me. This is huge, really huge. The young millennial generation of 18 to 30 is rising, while the older boomer generation is fading fast. The younger generation is huge in numbers, desperate for jobs, savvy in mobile technology, alienated from the political system, and pretty pissed off, okay? Living on the go, in motion, is the preferred lifestyle. People increasingly want to work, play, eat, meet away from the home, the office, the village, and even the nation. Migration, as we all know, is now a huge disruptive force on society. There's a great exhibit on migration at the new Matt Museum. Really go take a look at it. People want to personally engage in all aspects of their lives, from banking to healthcare, from education to their careers. They want to listen to authority less and be more personally responsible. 20 years ago, a third of the world's population lived in cities. Today, it's way over half. In 20 years, it'll be 80%. Urban culture is dramatically different than rural life. Cities are transformation machines that change people and offer them great opportunities to make their dreams come true, and sometimes their nightmares as well. The world system is in turmoil. We know that. China is rising. Europe pulling apart, maybe. And the US, will it get trumped and retreat from the world? Disruption, danger, and opportunity define the current era of geopolitical and economic change. It makes us all want to scream. Allow me to suggest a better alternative to screaming. I call it creative intelligence. Now, we know about IQ, we know about EQ, emotional intelligence. I think we all need something called creative intelligence. I believe that leaders especially need to have creative intelligence to guide their organizations. And all organizations, from truck companies to the military, need to build up their CQ. Corporations, cities, even nations that have great creative capacities that allow them to innovate, grow, and generate value have a great vibe, a great vibe. You can see vibe at the very bottom of that. I added it. You can feel the vibe here, in this room, in Lisbon, in our workshops. And remember, individuals can have a great vibe, organizations, cities, even nations can have a great vibe. And you can gain and lose a vibe. I had a student uh, a couple of years ago who uh, came from Paris. And I, I said to her, why are you coming to New York to learn about you know, design? You're coming from Paris. And she said, she said, Paris has lost its vibe. Paris has lost its vibe. Wow, that's really dramatic. Um, and now Paris is trying to get back its vibe. So we're going to talk today about five strategies to increase your creative capacity and get your vibe. Uh, mining for meaning, framing and reframing, serious playing, making, I won't talk about that too much, scaling and curating your vibe. Okay, let's start with mining for meaning. Business schools traditionally teach us that it is the job of business to satisfy the needs of customers. Well, I disagree. Look at this quote. 
It's from Frank Knight, who's actually best known for his work on stock options. The chief thing which a common sense individual wants is not satisfaction for the wants which he or she has, but more and better wants. What people really want is to satisfy what they find meaningful, what they dream for, what they aspire to. Now, a few years back, I was lucky enough to participate in a dream-in conference in India, where thousands of people across that country were asked what they dream for. Not just what they needed, but what they dreamed for. Let's watch a small video of that. Okay, it's a little long, but it's so beautiful, I just let it go. Um, so what were the four most common dreams of the thousands and thousands of Indians that were interviewed in, in their own languages, too? The four most common dreams were starting a business. Starting a business. You're dreaming for starting a business. More education after school, because so many people dropped out uh, to go to work for their families. Uh, serving the nation. Serving the nation. People dream for, to serve the nation. And women's rights. Women's rights. If you ask a person what they need, they'll give you a list. If you ask about their dreams, they'll tell you one, maybe two, because that is what's meaningful to them. So the key issue going out is knowing what is truly meaningful to people, understanding their higher wants. Now, here's a picture of a Chinese wedding in a third-tier city in China. Now, as you know, a third-tier city in China is probably bigger than New York. Um, cities are booming all over Asia, particularly in China, uh, with a hugely expanding urban middle class. 
and they're attracting all kinds of companies to sell them goods. Uh, in this particular case, uh, Western and local computer companies were deeply involved in selling PCs to the rising urban class. Um, Hewlett-Packard came in, branding itself as a technology company, and sold its PCs on the base of, it's faster, better memory, it's Western technology, it's good. Lenovo, which is the homegrown Chinese company, uh, did something a little bit different. They actually asked their customers why they were buying Lenovo PCs. And many of them said they bought PCs as wedding gifts. Personal computers were meaningful to them as gifts. Lenovo understood that their product had meaning as part of ritual ceremony and status, not just as technology and functionality. So what did Lenovo do? Lenovo increased the size of the box. Didn't touch the PC. They increased the size of the box, and they made their graphics even brighter. And as some of you know, Chinese graphics are pretty bright to begin with. They made them even brighter. And they enhanced their product as a wedding gift. And they took market share away from their competitors. Lenovo used its creative intelligence capacities and revealed an underlying want, a deeper aspiration for their computers. And that's the gift. And as most of us know, the ritual gift exchange is perhaps the most powerful force in human society. So I think most of you in this room should be in the mining business. You should be mining for what is really meaningful to people. And by the way, if you don't do mining for meaning, you wind up with this. Google Glass, I don't know, $100 million mistake, $200 million mistake. Um, as engineers and technologists often do, Google came up with a very, <clears throat> very cool technology and then went out to look for meaning for that technology. Uh, again, it's typical of Silicon Valley. What happened, though, was it turned out that Google Glass did have a meaning. It meant a threat to your personal privacy. People experienced it as a threat. People were afraid they were being filmed or x-rayed or whatever. In a world of VUCA, it is better to identify what is meaningful to people and then harness cutting-edge technology to satisfy it than it is to simply throw out technology and wait for meaning to reach you. Okay. Second creative capacity we're going to talk about is framing and reframing narratives and engagements. After you discover what is meaningful, you then use a second strategy to bring it forward. Stories or narratives are the way we express what is meaningful in our lives. I'm going to read that again. Stories or narratives are the way we express what is meaningful in our lives. You frame these stories, and then you can reframe them. They become tools for you. Once you understand that you are framing a story, you can change that story. You can reframe it, as long as you keep what is meaningful. Okay. We engage the world based on our stories, and you can reframe your engagement as well. All right, let me explain this with an example. Here's a picture of a boy in Asia walking around drinking something, right, with his mom. When I was growing up, this would never happen. I always drank at the kitchen table or at the lunch table in school. I never, <laughs> never walked around and drank. Today, a life of personal mobility is a new meaningful piece of global culture. 
personal mobility has reframed the market for drinks. And this reframing has surprised many companies. One of them is Tetra, the Swedish company that makes, you know, the small box packaging for drinks. Now, Tetra was founded in Sweden back in the 50s by great Swedish engineers. And uh, they designed their Tetra packs for people who drank sitting down at a table. When people began moving around, walking, and drinking, people discovered that it was a lot easier to drink from a plastic bottle or an aluminum can than a Tetra pack. People, consumers, were reframing the marketplace, and Tetra was losing market share and didn't really know why. They spent years trying to figure it out, and finally they gave up and turned to Design Continuum, a great innovation design consultancy out of Boston. And they said, help me. And they did. The first thing Continuum did was to mine for meaning. They sent out a whole bunch of ethnographers um, who collected data on people in Shanghai, Milan, and Boston, since Tetra has a global audience. Here's a little bit of that research. It's a little gross, but it's short. Go. Okay, so that's Harry West, who is then the CEO of Continuum, now he's CEO of Frog, drinking. Uh, right. Did you notice how Harry was drinking? Uh, his bottom lips touched the bottle, right? Not as all his lips, but just the bottle. Um, and did you know that people in Kerala never drink that way? Their lips never touch the bottle. They, uh, here, I'll, I'll do this. I tried doing this in Kerala, and it was a complete disaster. Okay, so they pour it down. How do you drink in Portugal? Do huh? you do it this way or not? So you kind of touch it, right? There's a third way also where you put well, your whole mouth around it. So they discovered that you could, put, you could suck like this. You could pour with your lower lips, and, or uh, pour this way. Uh, and you can pull with your lower lips. Suck, pull, and pour. That's how you engage. That's how everyone engages, right? Um, and it's a very intimate engagement. People who suck don't pour, and people who pour don't suck. And God knows what the pull people do, right? So that's, and it's a very, again, I'm, it's very personal, it's very cultural, and it's very powerful. So. So Continuum took the next step and reframed the consumer engagement. Okay. Now for, I don't know, 100 years, 50 years, whatever it was, Swedish engineers always put the spout on the top of the box. That's where the spout is supposed to go. They insisted it would go there. That's where all the machinery is designed to do, put the spout on the top of the box. But as they discovered, when you do that, People spill their, their boxes all over them when they're walking. Continuum came up with this design. It was a rather unexpected design. When you put the spout over the lip, so you can walk and you can talk and you can drink and you don't have to spill all over yourself. This was quite dramatic for Tetra. And in the end, 
they wound up redesigning the entire bottle. And in the end, they started getting back their market share and avoided the fate of another great company up there, Nokia. Okay. So, very powerful creative capacity, very powerful creative competence, framing and reframing. Let's talk about serious play. Connecting dots, metaphor, and analogy. In a world of stability, it makes sense to use the process of problem solving. In a period of stability, problems don't change much. And we can figure out the best solution for pretty much every problem. Except turning pages. But in an era of VUCA, problems are changing all the time. In fact, you often don't know what the problem is. And there is no one right solution. There are many solutions, many problems, changing all the time. There are unexpected outcomes all the time. I believe that serious play as an open-ended process with many options and many outcomes is perhaps for many of us a better process for creating. Now, we usually associate playgrounds, playgrounds with children in schoolyards, but Johann Heusinger coined the term magic circle to describe any space where people are given permission to play at discovering different ways of meeting challenges. A magic circle can be anywhere. Uh, we had a magic circle at our workplaces. You could have a magic circle in a laboratory. This room has been a magic circle all day. Artist studios are magic circles. Now, we all grew up in a world of business where cutting costs, speeding delivery, and being more efficient gave us more revenue and prof uh, profits. Today, I believe, we need to use a different way of thinking to generate revenue and profits. We need to understand what is meaningful to customers. We need to frame and reframe business narratives and engagements to those customers. And they need, we need to find magic circles, teams of people who can come together and play and get to unexpected outcomes. But how do you do serious play that leads to the kind of outcomes that generate real value, real profits, real money? Let me suggest that playing for profit can be very easy. It's not magic and it's not complicated. It doesn't require brainstorming a thousand new ideas or inventing a complex process-driven innovation funnel. Successful play that leads to innovation is more about connecting dots. So I want to play this game with you just a little bit, and I suggest you take it home and play this game in your own organizations, your own companies. So here we go. What do you get when you connect an old human behavior of looking for girls or boys, sharing those images with your buddies, with a new social media technology? Okay. What do you get when you connect an old value of crashing on a couch of a friend to an old desire to make a bit of cash to a new social media technology? It's not that complicated. We're connecting a few dots. What do you get when you connect an old behavior of buying books and consumer goods at a store with a new digital online technology? Okay. In the US, you couldn't live without Amazon Prime these days. Um, Spotify, what is Spotify? Listening to music, sharing it, new technology. Kickstarter, 
Starting a company always involved, uh, you know, talking to your friends and family. Same thing here, friends and family first, and then it expands to the crowd on a new technology base. Uber, trying to catch some transportation in the city, quickly, fast, efficiently, on a new platform. It's just connecting a few dots. It's not a lot of magic, it's not a lot of mystery, it's not a lot of bureaucracy, it's not a lot of process, it's not a lot of funneling. It's connecting a few dots. Metaphor and analogy are good also. Um, I used to cover Procter & Gamble when it was deep into design thinking. In fact, Procter & Gamble was the one corporation that really drank the Kool-Aid. Now it stopped. It doesn't do design thinking. It does creativity, design by metaphor. Let me give you a good example. I don't have a slide for this, so I'll just talk it out. And it involves Hewlett Packard. Um, in my book, I talk about the invention of the inkjet printer. Um, decades ago, I don't even remember, two, three decades ago, Hewlett Packard was involved in a really tight competitive race with Canon to invent um, a cheap inkjet, uh, a cheap computer so you'd have it in your house or the office. They had computers, but they were all quite expensive. And in its prime, before Carly, Hewlett Packard was an incredible playground of creativity. It had dozens of magic circles, labs doing research on all kinds of things. One of these labs was led by an engineering dropout called John Vaught. Uh, at the time, they were racing with Canon to make a cheap printer. But Vaught and his lab, they were trying and trying, just wasn't happening, and he was exhausted. So one Christmas, his wife came with the family to drag him out of the lab, and she did. As she was pulling him out of the lab, he walked past the one item in the lab that was most familiar to everyone. It was the coffee pot, the coffee pot. And at that time, most of the coffee pots in America, at least, were percolators. My mother still has one, and it makes terrible coffee. The percolator works by boiling coffee grounds and sort of squeezing the water through a sieve to the other side to make coffee. And what, you know, he's going out, he's spaced out, he's tired, he sees this thing and keeps going. Comes back a week later, he walks back past it again. And he says, ah, oh, whatever he said, eureka, aha, probably something more profane. Look at that, you know, maybe we could do something like that, something like that. And he went back to the lab and brought the team together, and they put together basically the first inkjet printer on those principles, squeezing, pushing ink through a sieve. That was innovation, creativity, design by metaphor. Very, very powerful. Not much of a process, but the ability to think is a metaphor. Dyson, Dyson did his first vacuum cleaners, which have that cyclone. He saw the cyclone first in a sawmill, where they were using cyclonic vacuuming to pull out the sawdust in a, in a sawmill. And it stuck, stuck with him. Designed by metaphor. Okay, I'm gonna briefly go through making, sorry it's a small, this is the ugliest slide I have. Um, we have, as we all know, new additive technologies that are really transforming making and bringing making back to the process of creativity. In the US, we really lost the ability to make and have really gone virtual in most of the things. We are now seeing a real renaissance of making. The Internet of Things has really brought making back into form and 3D printing and other additive 
processes of bringing making back into creativity. Making is hugely important if it can generate some of the jobs that have been lost over the years. Again, just a little bit of politics. We know what's happening in Europe because of the loss of manufacturing jobs. Same thing is happening in the US. Loss of manufacturing jobs leads to political and social events. Okay? Making is hugely important. Now, scaling. This is really important. For me, this is something that I learned uh, mostly outside Business Week, where I was for a long time. Uh, now I'm in an incubator, an art incubator in New York. And I see it and I become a collector, an art collector. So I was familiar, I'm familiar with the role of the curator and the patron. And um, I've realized that it's one thing to be a great creator, but to, to bring creativity to the market, to society, you need people who can scale. And in the case of the inkjet printer, HP had its own curators. They were experienced managers, most of them engineers, but more experienced, who walked around and curated the inventions in the many, many, many laboratories and made the decision that this could work at this time in the marketplace. It could make us some money. It could really, really be good. These curators then made that choice and handed off the invention and the inventors to patrons. Patrons who were managers who provided financing for the prototyping, and if that worked, production and marketing. The role of curator and patron are very, very well known in the art world, but they're equally important in the business world as well, especially the startup world. I'd like to suggest that the roles of the art dealer, the business manager, venture capitalist, as curators and patrons are essentially identical. Essentially identical. Further, I'd like to suggest that the process of making art today is essentially identical to the process of making startups and new products and services. Okay, so, curating the vibe. Together, the creator, the curator, and the patron form a vibe, a vibrating social space where innovations get generated and then scaled to the marketplace and society. Which companies have the vibe today? Now, we all know Apple had the vibe yesterday. Does it still have the vibe? I don't know. Here in Europe, who has the vibe? Which companies? Which cities? If Paris doesn't have the vibe, Berlin, Barcelona, London. Will London lose its vibe now? Stockholm, Lisbon. I've only been in Lisbon a couple of days, but God, it feels very vibey to me. Very vibey. Um, I could do that again while I'm turning the page. Okay. Now just remember, you can create a vibe. And you can gain a vibe and you can lose a vibe. Very, very important. So, thank you very much for this opportunity to talk to you about creativity and creative intelligence. I want to leave you with a, kind of an abstract thing that I've been working on. Can you see that? Yeah. So, I think what we're talking about here, productized, lives in the center of this. I'm not actually sure how. Um, but somewhere in What Money Can't Buy and What Money Can Buy, it's a wonderful book, by the way, What Money Can't Buy, and the making of meaning and the meaning of making, lives creativity, lives design, lives thinking like a designer. And that's all I have to say. Thank you very much. <laughs>